spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Statistically, I managed to track this game live um, with a finish with a finish feed that was in high definition. I was very happy with that. Um, and Finland allowed zero high danger scoring chances at five on five against Austria. Canada allowed four, and Canada also, I think, conceded twenty two shots in total at five on five. Um, a bunch of medium danger chances. Like they had the one breakaway, but some of the high danger ones were off rebounds. So. Uh, poor plays by Brochu, but also uh, poor net front defending. And then there were also the quick counterattack ones where one of Canada's defensemen got not necessarily activating and pinching, but more or less just being completely disjointed from the rest of his teammates. So, yeah, it, it's not great. Obviously, if you're Canada, you look at this and you're happy that you won. You're happy that you steamrolled them. But you also want to see things be a little bit tighter defensively. Uh, it, it's hard to pin it on just one guy. I think as a unit, there was a lot of there were a lot of missed opportunities to hold the zone. There were a lot of missed opportunities to stop entry into the zone. And again, there were some poor plays in front of their own net. Similar to what you saw, Laura or Lauren, sorry. Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing is like as the scorer kept getting out of reach is like they just seemed a little bit too complacent with, you know, whether it was boxing players out in front of the net or even handling the puck or, you know, defensemen jumping up in into the forecheck or chipping and chasing the puck down into the other end of the ice where, you know, in a closer game against maybe a better opponent, you're not usually seeing defensemen do that. Um, and yeah, it was just some, some of those things that, you know, it might have, it may not have been costly tonight, but, you know, it's not something you want to see against, you know, Finland on New Year's Eve, for example. Yeah, Finland is definitely the game where, the tight defense is going to have to matter a lot more and you want to see them start working on some of the issues that have been hindering them from, let's say a perfect performance over the first two games. But uh, I think one guy that uh, obviously is turning heads right now is Connor Bedard, a four goal game. And yeah, it's against Austria, but uh, the dynamic play that he's bringing to the table, it has looked incredible. Any chance he is going to move up the lineup anytime soon? Oh, well, I thought he would, given that, you know, Canada was missing Justin sort of with that suspension and then Xavier Borgo with the injury. But uh, he was he was chugging along on that fourth line with Will Cooley. And and now I don't even remember who it was. Uh, uh, And he, you know, he proved that he deserves a chance to play higher up in the lineup. I'd like to see him on the first line with with Wright and Perfetti. I don't. I didn't love Borgo on that line in the pre-tournament game and in their game against Czechia, but I wasn't all that impressed with Bork either tonight. I still feel like maybe they've got to figure out some line combinations that work. You know, McTavish has has been rolling. You know, Bedard is looking good, but a lot of it has been off individual efforts, at least from what I've seen. And I'd like to see them get find a way to, you know, work the lines around a little bit more. You know, maybe move Dylan Genther up there. Um, or, you know, just play Bedard the minutes that he's rightfully earned at this point. Yeah, are definitely in a tricky situation where, you know, a lot of the guys who have stood out have, have stood out individually, like Lauren said, 
you know, Cole Perfetti has been very, very good. Mace McTavish have been, have been very, very good. But part of the issue is less so in Perfetti's case. Part of the issue is how well are the players around them playing? You know, everyone has moments. You know, with a team that's this loaded, everyone has moments. Maverick Bork had great moments in this game. He had some very quiet moments as well where he could have been a little bit more involved. And I think Connor Bedard is the like the ultimate answer to that. You can put Connor Bedard on any line and he's going to be effective offensively. He's a dynamic force. He's probably definitely the most dynamic prospect in the sport right now. He's he's pretty much everything that you want other than like you just need a little bit more playmaking refinement, as we saw in this game. He had a few missed opportunities uh, that and he forced a couple of plays. But like otherwise, this is a kid who like completely honest, like he could end up being one of the most important, if not the most important forward for Canada down the stretch. Is he going to be their best player because of their age? Probably not. But in terms of getting that extra offensive punch when they need it, he's going to be the guy who's going to bring it. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. We've got a couple questions coming through on uh, Shane Wright in particular, who we mentioned last show that he just didn't stand out, right? And again tonight, I don't think he stood out in a game where you probably wanted to see him get a goal. He'll have another opportunity against Germany, obviously. Although I think Germany is a significantly better team than Austria and has really come a long way as a hockey nation in recent years. But I think he's doing the little things a little bit more than, than the last game. He seems to be effective, but Perfetti is clearly the star, the straw that stirs the drink on that line offensively. And I see a couple comments like, are we still drooling about uh, the possibility of Shane Wright over a Habs or wearing a Habs jersey? I think it's kind of unfair to judge him too harshly after just two games in a tournament that's very short. But at the same time, like Mitch had mentioned and Tony on the last show had mentioned, he's had a bit of an underwhelming year this year in juniors. Uh, he seems like he's just going to have to work his way out of it. Am I wrong? This is Lauren's time to shine. She's <laughs> yeah. seen Shane Wright live um, quite a few times this year. Yeah, so the thing with Shane Wright's game, I think you have to understand is he's not a Bedard or a McDavid. You know, he's not going to put up points in that flashy, dynamic sort of game-breaking manner. But it's, you know, it's the connect, the elite, you know, facilitator part of his game where he's a great connector. And that's why I would like to see him play more with Bedard, who is, you know, that dynamic offensive pop that, you know, seems to move Canada forward. You know, he would be the guy getting the pucks to Bedard as opposed to, I think right now, you know, we've seen Perfetti has the ability to score, but right now there, I think there's just too many playmaking options on that first line where there's not someone who can just take the puck and rip it. And, you know, Perfetti would be that guy, but I don't think he's taking enough opportunities to do that with, with the whole right. Hasn't looked exceptional thing. I don't necessarily believe that. I think people are focusing a little bit too much on point production as the NLBL of first overall picks. Um, you know, Nathan, I tweeted this earlier tonight, Nathan McKinnon had one point in six games at the world juniors as a 17 year old, which is what Wright is playing at the world juniors now. And I think, you know, we can all agree. Nathan McKinnon has just been just fine in the NHL. So I think you have to kind of take a step back from, you know, the production and yes, it would be nice to have seen him score tonight or, you know, pick up more than I think, I think it was only one assist, but, um, you know, I think it's difficult to evaluate or draw conclusions from a game like this but it's also difficult to make the same conclusions on a player uh, from based on a two-week tournament where it's sort of like this and he's playing a level up like he always has 
And I think, you know, if you watch him enough in the OHL, he looks just fine. He is, you know, he's dominant. He is maybe not standing out in the ways offensively that most people I think are used to seeing from first overall picks, but I don't think there's anything to be concerned about with his potential or, you know, whether he should go first overall or not. I think he's still the best player available in the draft right now for me. He's a very different first overall player than we generally see, right? Uh, even players who don't have quite the same, I guess, NHL ability, they generally have a little bit more standout flashy elements at lower levels. And Wright can do that. He just prefers to play a little bit. It's not a, it's not a simple game. I think a simple game is incredibly reductive, but it is very much like Lawrence said, a game about connecting, a game about being in the middle being, you know, the hub through which everything kind of flows, but it's not always spectacular. And we've seen from him even this year, like tons of deception, tons of like manipulation, whereby you make someone move in one direction and you go the other either that's with the puck or with your feet or by deking them. So like he can do these kind of like high level offensive things. It's just that if he sees another way of doing it, why do you need to make it more complicated? So there is part of there is part of that to it. I do think that yes, he overall it would be nice to see him be more aggressive even in the OHL. It would be nice to see him take more chances, but ultimately this is a player who has a highly scalable game. When he goes up to the NHL, he's not going to lose a ton of what he does. He doesn't rely on any advantages that he won't have at the next level. He doesn't rely on any plays that he won't be able to make at the next level. And his ceiling unlike other first overall picture is going to be more defined by the players around him. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to be a great number one center for years and years to come. Yeah, there's a comment here saying, uh, right, good player, but not a franchise saver. I feel like that's like fair, but also I don't think anybody has categorized right as a franchise saver heading into this draft. Like the there, there's nobody talking about him as if he's, he's generational, right? So I don't think that uh how we're talking about him now should necessarily be a shock per se. I think that this is just an accurate assessment and he has been relatively accurately assessed. I think by the prospect people that I follow throughout the last year or so that, uh, you know, he, he's a first overall talent, but not a generational player. And that's fine. Not everybody who goes first overall is Connor McDavid. And that guy, if there is one is going to be, Bedard, right? So for Canadians fans who really want to see that team get turned around, they probably want at least one of them, but uh, it'd be real nice to get both. <laughs> that would that would change a franchise real fast, but uh, only the Edmonton Oilers managed to do that every once in a while, so probably unlikely. I guess the Penguins did it with Malkin and Crosby too, but uh, I digress. Um, the Sealy Power mix-up that gave Austria breakaway there where it looked like Sealy just blew a tire. What was Owen Power doing? Oh, so you're discovering this too, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, o Owen Power. Um, when you're a player who wanders a lot, your game is based on activating, roaming, being in the middle of things. You are inevitably going to make mistakes when you have the play in front of you like that. <laughs> That's just part of it. And I think Owen Power, as you proved in the last game, has more than enough ability to kind of to kind of offset these things. As for that specific play, I can't remember it. I can only remember like the completely nondescript things that no one else seems to remember. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm tortured. I, I think that play would have been fine if Sealy hadn't blown a tire in the neutral zone. You know, I think he was far enough back at that point that if he hadn't tripped, he would have caught 
the Austrian player on the breakaway. Otherwise, yeah, I it was just unfortunate event. Yeah, I, I feel like those kinds of things just happen sometimes. You, you can't blame Sealy too much. It's you look at that play and it, you watch it and you're like, oh, okay, he's fine. Oh, oh, oh okay, <laughs> like. It looked like everything was completely safe, and then he blows the tire, and it's it's a huge breakaway for Austria. Um, looking at the way that Team Canada is playing defense, do you guys see something specific that needs to be addressed, or is it just like general attention to detail? So part of it is personnel, for being completely honest. Like that's that is part of the issue. I think. The forwards, for the most part, have actually been very good at backtracking, being attentive, being aware. Of course, guys like McTavish, Bork, these are strong defensive players who can bring a little bit more at that end. And I suspect that both of them will rise to the occasion when it, when required. But defensively, you know, you're kind of looking at your best rush defender is Caden Gooley. Caden Gooley is the best rush defender in all of the CHL. The next guy after that is... <laughs> hmm, not sure. Uh, like it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to figure out, even though in power, right? When we think of these tall rangy defensemen who can move, we think they always, always have recovery, recovery ability that they can fix any mistake, but Owen power does have some issues correcting those mistakes because of his pivots and because of his reaction time on some of these miscues. Uh, Lucas Cormier is very easy to beat in one-on-one situations, particularly in more complex situations where he can't just run into you. It's kind of his default mode. Not sure what to do. Hit guy. It uh, doesn't always work. Um, and even like, I think Zellweger is a very strong rush defender, but it hasn't translated so far in this tournament. I suspect he'll get better, but yeah, it's a, a personnel thing. It, it really, I really, really, really think it's the players that they chose. Not that, Grant Clark would have helped with the rush defense thing, but he certainly would have helped facilitate a few more clean breakouts. Yeah, I think it was a big risk, you know, regardless of whatever reason Hockey Canada had not even inviting him to selection camp. But, you know, I think they miss his, you know, his game more than they are willing to let on. I just, I don't think there's anybody, maybe aside from Goalie Power, that can rise to that occasion, you know, at both ends of the ice the way that Brant Clark can. And I just think, you know, there's, you know, maybe they can try and spread the wealth a little bit more with mixing up the pairs. But I think, you know, right now the, this is the best that they've got and they just got to find a way. I, I totally think that they're just going to start going ghoulie power, ghoulie power. Like these two down the stretch are going to be playing 30 minutes a game. One of them's always going to be on the ice every single at the every single second, and they're going to close out every single game together. Like I think that's kind of where we're headed, and that's not necessarily a bad thing that they're giving their big guys that they're going to give their big guys big minutes, but it is a bad thing that you don't trust anyone or other players don't have the capacity to do those things. Yeah, it'll be like a Thomas Jubot situation where they play like forty minutes a game. That was the exact name that I was just thinking of because the one World Junior Gold Medal game that I actually got to go to was the one where Thomas Shabbat played like. 45 minutes out of this like 64 minute game or whatever. Cause it went to overtime. I believe it went to overtime. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Full, full 10 minute overtime. I think. Oh, okay. So, so it was even ended, longer that ended that. in a shootout. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, a heartbreaking one, but it was, it was fun while it lasted. I think Canada went up like two, nothing or something at one point and the arena was bumping, but uh, USA ended up winning. Yeah. So Thomas Shabbat is the name that I was thinking as well. It'd be interesting to see that happen. I, I like watching that tournament. I remember there was one guy, I think their seventh D 
that like right away all game every time he touched the puck i was like get this guy off the ice and that guy ended up scoring tonight that's kale clegg that was who it was i was like all game long kale clegg every time he touched the puck huge disaster but hey scored a goal in the nhl tonight his first as a montreal canadian so good for him he's starting to round things out i know mitch was saying uh a few weeks ago when we had uh, had him on Game Over Montreal, that Clegg has like some areas of his game that are worth exploring, and this is one of the advantages of the Canadians' lost season to bring that out. So like some guys who have bad showings in the World Junior Championships end up having NHL careers, and some guys who have great showings end up not having much. So it's a tough tournament to evaluate, and I think too many people still to this day overvalue how much this tournament means for like a prospect's overall value. But uh, I'm kind of falling in love with Perfetti. I love his vision and I've only watched him a few times now. And I just think this kid's going to be a star. Yeah, he's, he's a hockey genius. Uh, I need to, I, I'm working on a video. One of these days it'll come out about, you know, explaining how, as I said in the last one, how he operates kind of in these areas of the game that most players don't. And we saw this a ton, like his delay game is super advanced. When he comes across the blue line, you never really see him try to turn the corner around the defender. He's always cutting in front he's always cutting back and then finding the trailer. Uh, he's just so, so, so intelligent. And then of course there's the off puck ability, just how he arrives in space at the right times, the hand-eye coordination to deflect some of these tricky passes. And yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> could talk about his game forever. Like he's one of those guys who, when you watch him, not only are you like, oh, wow, that was really cool. You're like, I would have never thought about making that play in the way that he did. Like every time I watch him, he teaches me something about the game that I didn't know. He's got a little bit of that, like uh, Mitch Marner cross, cross the middle seam pass going there that uh, you gotta love. And I know Lauren talked earlier about uh, he has not been shooting the way that you expect Perfetti to shoot in this tournament, and I've noticed that as well. He seems a little bit hesitant on his shots, like he's just maybe feels like it's just a better option to pass. And half the time when he has the puck in scoring position, it almost looks like half-hearted at least tonight i thought but he is just so dynamic with and without the puck that I, i'm willing to live with it, not uh, shooting the lights out so far i think that he's been my favorite player to watch on this team outside of bedard well if they're gonna keep perfetti with right and borgo someone's got to start shooting the puck 100 percent. and we had a comment earlier on the stream asking if like somebody was saying, like they thought that uh, Wright was a bit of a sniper and they haven't really seen him shoot much. Would you describe him as having a like really high end shot or is that a misconception? His shot is, it's a little bit unconventional, if that makes any sense. His, his release, he doesn't have a lot of flex on some of the shots that he takes. And it's odd because he does have the ability to use, utilize it, but it's almost like this kind of, quick flick of his wrist more than any sort of power generated by the flex of the stick. And those seem to go top shelf. They beat goaltenders all the time in the OHL. Um, but it's, it's almost like he just chooses not to use it. He sees a better opening. It's like, Oh, it's not necessary to use this here. I don't need that much power. And he can rip it top shelf without, you know, that kind of flex. But as far as, you know, being an elite sniper, I think that's more Connor Bedard style. I think Wright is still more of that, you know, playmaker two way center 
very strong defensively kind of player instead of that, you know, that guy who's going to be the one scoring that top shelf kind of highlight reel goal. At this level, Wright's more likely to be kind of an off puck guy. He's going to get open in the right space and then tap in the puck kind of deal rather than rip it. As Lauren said, his shot is a bit interesting. So he shoots off his inside leg predominantly. He has a few other tricks, but like he predominantly shoots off his inside legs. Like he tips his shoulders over his stick to generate the downforce. So usually most players don't have a ton of control over that shot. And it's obvious, you know, as soon as you see them like pull it back, wind up, drop the shoulder, you know, everyone knows the shot's coming. Uh, he's actually very quick within that because of the way that his hands come off of his hip. You compare that to Bedard, who's mostly an outside leg shooter. Uh, Bedard is obviously levels above every <laughs> every other shooter on the planet other than maybe Matt Mishkov, right? And the prospect world where he's he has great body posture. Like he pulls the puck in towards his feet and shoots very narrow, chest up. You don't really see him tip his shoulders too much. So Bedard will be able to score those goals from, you know, medium range, even a few long range ones in the NHL. Shane Wright's going to be more of the, the net front guy or shooting off the pass, you know, in transition and, and beating the goaltender. It's, it's really interesting to see like all the breakdowns of how different guys shoot and how that impacts like what they're actually good at and what they're not good at. I feel like it's the kind of analysis that we don't often get on actual broadcasts. You just get like, how fast was this guy skating? <laughs> no shade, <laughs> but a little bit of shade. But uh, yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about some other topics as well. Um, there was some breaking news about this tournament, about Team USA and a couple positive COVID tests. And we're probably going to touch on the IHF releasing a statement today as well on uh, all the canceled tournaments in January. Before we do that, I have to say that uh, everyone who's watching this and enjoying it, please like the show, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast feeds, which you can find at sdpn.ca, which you can also find their SDPN shop, buy some beautiful Game Over merchandise, and you can find the SDPN app. You can go to the Discord. You can find us all over the place. You can at me on Discord and send me a message, and I'll answer you because... I can't leave a notification on my phone. I just can't let it happen. So uh, if you at me on Discord, I will answer. I'm going to regret saying that. But uh, moving on from the shilling, uh, the Team USA positive test things, they have, I believe, officially forfeited the match against Switzerland now. Are we worried that this is going to escalate and ruin this tournament? Well, the one thing COVID has never been accused of doing is spreading. Uh, <laughs> so, Definitely like, not yeah, fast, we're terrified. Recently. Well, yeah, in Alberta, so, uh, they can't. Teenagers can't spread COVID in Alberta. Apparently, I found that out today. So. <laughs> yeah, I so I live in Alberta, uh, and I I've done for the last two years the whole thing of like not going outside, and the whole reason why I live here is going outside. So, as you can imagine, that's that is that is a little bit frustrating, but you know that's that's for another day. Uh, yeah, it's it's a problem. We I don't think this will be the first game. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think there are 18 games left to be played. So, you know, the odds of another one being canceled are pretty high. Now that they're on this early, that the United States had kind of a day between their first game and their, and their second game, uh, or today's game that was supposed to be played, gives me some optimism that, you know, it's there it might be just the two players who have it and that's it but odds are odds are not great yeah and it's i mean it's especially disheartening for the reigning champions also to be 
risking possibly bowing out if it spreads within that team really quickly, right? But obviously the right decision to kill that game essentially uh, to prevent it transferring teams. It's the reality we're living in, unfortunately. It seems like every day there's some new thing that's happening and... You know, we had an extra bit of time off from the NHL heading into the holidays, which, you know, honestly, was kind of nice for me. I got a break and got to hang out with the kids and do some work around the house. But overall, I think everyone wants to continue watching this tournament. But the tournaments that they don't get to watch, most of them are women's hockey. And the IHF released a statement today talking about those tournaments. And they basically said nothing. So... Despite the fact that uh, the Swedish Federation has said that they wanted to continue uh, with the under-18 Women's World Championship, and Ontario Hockey was saying that they wanted to host it if uh, the Swedish Federation couldn't, seems like there's no progress being made despite uh, mounting pressure. you guys think that there's any way that they can actually push forward and change the IHF's mind here? Well, I don't think there's any way that the IHF can go ahead with the men's U18 tournament next spring if they don't find a way to host the women's. I think enough countries have stepped up to say we are willing to make this work uh, that, you know, they have to at least hear them out. You know, I think I heard they asked USA Hockey for a plan to, you know, move move the tournament to the U.S. If they, you know, are able to find a way to make that work, that would be incredible. I just think it's so unfair for, you know, for the women who have, you know, been forced to sit out from this tournament now two years in a row. And the statement they released today was, was garbage, right? Like this, this was a statement that was pretty much like the, uh, (laughs) I don't know how obscure this is, but the Joel Embiid commercial for Hulu when he's, when they're asking him why he changed his nickname and he's like money. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's that, that statement was that to a T it was literally just money was the sole focus of it and was the sole way they were able to justify it. Um, yeah, just terrible, like unbelievably terrible, um, for, for so many reasons for development, uh, of, of women, of, of women in sports for it's awful for like, (laughs) it's one of these things where quite honestly, like I feel frustrated that, um, the world juniors are going on and the conversation is predominantly around the world juniors and there's not a ton of discussion except you know here and a few other places that are talking about like just how impactful missing these tournaments are going to be and that's not to mention like last time there isn't even an under 20 women's world championship which is incredibly bad for for all of the reasons yeah and like indefensible It, it just doesn't make sense but I know like my Twitter timeline obviously is not representative of what everyone sees. It's not representative of everyone's Twitter timeline. But what I see every day is a bunch of people speaking out and pushing this issue. And I just want to say to everyone who is doing that already and is thinking about doing that more, please keep going. Because I think that the only way we can, you know, get this to an acceptable level is continue to apply pressure. Yeah, and I think for the first time, I think maybe this is the most outraged in general that, you know, social media has been over a canceled tournament. And I think maybe in past years, there wouldn't have been this kind of uproar about, you know, the women not being able to play it at the U18s. But I think, you know, just the 
unjust nature of having the world juniors being played right now. A game was just canceled because COVID-19 spread throughout with the Americans. Right. So it's just the reasoning behind canceling the tournament because of the pandemic that is still going on. And meanwhile to hold the world juniors in Alberta without a bubble, you know, and then missing out on, you know, the game that was supposed to be played today. It just, it doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, it's wild that, you know, in the NHL a couple of weeks ago now, they shut down fans for a game in Montreal. And I thought there was going to be no fans when everything started spreading here in Alberta. And there's fans in the stands. I understand why, obviously, the money thing. That's why most of the missteps have happened throughout this pandemic is everybody or I mean, the people in charge, not everybody is thinking about the economy over lives. But it is completely wild to see the difference of, in how things are treated. And I understand that this tournament is a huge moneymaker and that this tournament and the uh, world championships kind of funds everything else in a lot of ways. But the lack of forward thinking in what can be for international hockey, for uh, especially for women's hockey, is astonishing. And it's just so disappointing. And I saw... A lot of people, once they initially announced that the USA Swiss game was postponed, they were like, oh, so you can postpone things now <laughs> instead of canceling them outright ended up being canceled. So not as good of a, a diss, but uh, yeah, unfortunately, it seems like there's absolutely not equal treatment between uh, men's and women's hockey, and we know they're not equally funded, not even close. So if we can just give a little bit of that to start going the other way here, I think in a very short period of time, we would see a lot more support, a lot more uh, fans pushing for it. And I just, everyone who's on them every single day going after the IHF, my hat's off to you. I will continue to push it on this show as long as they don't uh, back up their decision a little bit. I, I would like to see them do it. Obviously, they're not going to do it yet, but uh, let's keep on applying the pressure. What I would actually like to see, you know, Drake Batherson spoke out about it. Scott Morrow spoke about the decision to not host the women's U18s. They, you know, reference the fact that they have sisters who play hockey. I would like to see an NHL player who doesn't have a hockey playing sister speak out about this. I think that would hold carry a lot more weight than just, you know, you know, seeing hockey players say, oh, yeah, well, it's not fair that I can play, but my sister can. And I think Lucas Cormier was another one last year when the tournament was initially canceled. Yeah, Maxime Comtois yeah. spoke out, right? Yeah, I think he was the only one yeah. that I've seen. It seems like a lot of it is like young NHLers speaking out. I'd, I'd like to see somebody also of like the old guard supporting the women as well. As, or uh, even Connor McDavid. Yeah, yeah, geez, he's complaining about the Olympics, so why not step up for the women as well? Like, you're already out there. Brad Marchand today. Like, step up, guys. You could help. It's unfortunate that this idea that like, oh, how does this relate to me of this thing is so pervasive in how we discuss these issues, right? You know, uh, sexism isn't as simple as, oh, well, I have a mother and I have sisters. It's no, half of the population of the planet is women and affected by sexism. Like, <laughs> come on. And like you, it, somebody shouldn't have to be a family member for you to be able to have empathy for them. Of course. Right? Like, yeah. it's just... It's such a weird disconnect that we always have to preface it as all. Like, I also have a mother, and it, it is such a strange thing. Um, 
I guess before we uh, wrap things up, we got a couple questions here. Uh, one of asking if we could talk about, they said Latvia's goalie, but they mean Austria. Uh, talk about the Austrian team and how hard they played. And I'm, I'm hundred percent with you. We will touch on that right now because I was very impressed with how they didn't fold during this game and how they kept pushing despite the score line. Uh, that was really awesome that they were able to score twice for them. I think that uh, there's a lot of, talk every time we have the world juniors that oh we should contract the tournament because these games are embarrassing i mean sure in a way it sucks to lose 11 to 2 but at the same time those two kids who scored against canada are probably not going home tonight to their hotel room thinking they lost 11 2 they're thinking i scored against friggin canada in the world junior hockey championship when Austria last tournament scored two goals the whole tournament. They scored twice against Canada tonight. So I think that is something that is worthwhile for those players from the teams or from the countries that are like you would argue like maybe tier two. The most wholesome moment of the night was definitely when Lucas Nassani scored. Like that was phenomenal. And that's that's the type of stuff that makes you know it, it makes careers basically, right? Like Looking back on that, that's going to be a special moment forever. And not just because, you know, you put the puck in an empty net, but, you know, Vinzez Rohr, he he did a ton of work. He got that puck. He made a great pass into the slot. And then Nesseni beat a goaltender and he beat a defender to do it. And the guy in front of the net was Caden Gooley, who might be Canada's best, like, defensive defender. So this is this is a big deal. And this is the type of stuff that makes this tournament special. And every time we sit here and say, Oh, you know, blow out this, blow out that. Canada then has a tight game against against some random country that no one was ever thinking, and then a goaltender is immortalized in the sport. Yeah, look at uh, was it Christos Gudlevskis in Latvia uh, in the Olympics in 2014, who stopped like 50 shots out of 52 or something like that. And I mean, I still remember his name. Or if you think of like, I don't know how many people remember this, but Denny Godla in 2015 in Toronto, he backstopped Slovakia to gold. That was a huge moment for that tournament. You know, the people who were in that arena and I was one of them that game, you know, they're going to, we're going to remember that moment forever. I mean, that's like firmly emblazoned in my mind. Yeah. And also it can't, it can't be understated just how important these games are for development. Like, so there's uh, Marco Casper who played in this game and was very good and also very aggressive early on, which is what Marco Casper does. He's a violent, he's a, he's a violent player. He thrives in this environment. Um, he, this is a great opportunity for him, you know, potential first round pick. You're already playing in the SHL. Now you go up against Canada and like, he was solid tonight. You know, this is, it was 11 2 doesn't matter. You come into this game thinking, okay, yeah, Casper might actually have, you know, more upside, more talent than I previously thought. And the whole power element to his game is, is there whether the score is 0-0 or 11-2. And yeah. for Rohrer on that, on that first Austrian goal, he's a player I watch in the OHL. That's what he does in the OHL. He does the dirty work. He hunts for pucks and he finds players with passes or he can roof the puck past goalies and shock them because they don't think that, you know, they can't, they don't maybe see him as that much of an offensive threat, but that's the kind of player he is. And, you know, if there will be an NHL team who will snag him this summer in the draft, and they're going to be very, very happy with their pick. Absolutely. And I think just the Austrian team in general earned a lot of respect for how they played and how hard they played, especially in the second and third period in this game. I'm 
really happy for those kids because I think that it's just such an indescribable moment for them to be able to do that despite the scoreline. It's really awesome. Okay, so before we, we hang it up here, we had a question really early in the show in the stream chat that I kind of skipped over because I thought we we're going to better leave it towards the end. They asked, what's the goalie rotation from here on out? Because I would say that the confidence is not necessarily... I don't think either goalie has been bad, but I don't think the confidence in either goalie so far has been exceptional. So is Casa the guy from here on out? Are they trying all three goalies? What do you guys think the plan is? Yeah, it's probably... It's Sebastian Kosa's time to shine from here on. You know, he's got the pedigree. I think he's like six foot seven. So, you know, everyone, everyone in the hockey world loves him because he's tall. And on top of that, like he's fluid. He can move. He's got great hands. You know, he's a tough guy to beat. He hasn't been quite as good in the WHL this year as he was last year, but like, that's nothing to scoff at. I still think he has like a nine twenty five. So what he's not putting up a nine forty in the WHL. Um, I think it'll come down, but I think grand will probably end up being the backup, but even though Kosa hasn't played yet, I think this is his net. Yeah, I, I think I heard on the broadcast say that because they didn't have a second um, pre-tournament game to see what Brochu was made of, that this was kind of his opportunity and they figured, you know, put him in at against an Austrian team and see what he can do. I don't think he really showed us anything tonight that, you know, proved that maybe he should earn the starting job. I think it, it comes down to Kosin Grand. Very good. All right. Thank you guys so much for coming on with me tonight. Thank you to everybody for watching. I'm excited to watch another game tomorrow night against Germany. It's going to be very interesting. I guess before we go, uh, obviously I want you guys both to promote your work, but before you uh, tell everyone where to find your work, tell, tell me, uh, are you more confident or less confident in Canada after game two than you were after game one? Yeah, probably a little bit, a little bit more confident. I just think at the end of the day, offenses, offenses, what does the damage, you know, they, they can outscore a lot of their problems just as Canada always does. Or, you know, mostly, mostly always does. You know what? It's been tough sled in the last few years of trying to outscore the problems. But, you know, I think I think they can pull it off. Yeah, I think I think they'll be fine in the round robin. It'll be who they draw in the quarterfinals in Group B. And I heard them throw out the Americans as a potential quarterfinal matchup if they can't get into any more round robin games. And that would be very interesting to see. Always down for seeing a Canada-USA matchup. We usually get it on New Year's Eve, but not this year. We got Canada-Finland. Uh, so uh, Lauren and then Mitch, tell everyone where they can find your work. Uh, yeah, so you can find my work uh, mostly on Twitter uh, at um, at Laura Kelly twenty four. Um, I've been covering the tournament for Sportsnet. Uh, I should have a piece coming up going out tonight shortly, um, and I also do the occasional piece on AP Ringside. Yeah, and for if you are interested in me, head to APRingside.com. Uh, we got lots of stuff coming and also check out our YouTube channel when, when this stream is over, but I would highly recommend actually just following Lauren Kelly on Twitter. Like she's yeah. legitimately hilarious. So do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not funny. Don't, you don't need my Twitter handle. Go follow Lauren. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. And I will also throw my hat in the ring and say, please follow Lauren criminally underfollowed. I just discovered her this week and I'm very happy with this follow. So everybody go out there and follow Lauren. It's yeah, worth it. Oh you won't gosh. regret it. <laughs> She's like, just stop this. Nobody likes <laughs> nobody likes being complimented over and over again, right? 
It's yeah, just I'm awkward. very comfortable right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's all, all right. right. It's we'll cut it. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in and staying with us. We'll be back tomorrow. And I will.